Well, as they're doing that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tempted? Yeah. Oh, by the way, ushers, a lot more hands just went up. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it work for you when you were tempted? Yeah. How'd that turn out? Yeah. Maybe you're like my friend that says, I can resist anything except temptation. Yeah. One reality show uh, drilled a three-inch hole in a wood fence at a construction site, painted over the fence, and then wrote on it in big letters, do not look through this hole. (laughs) Rolled the cameras. Everybody who went by and noticed the sign looked both ways and behind, and then, (laughs) I can resist anything but temptation. (laughs) Today we're going to read about Jesus' classic battle with the devil. When we talk about the devil and Satan, which we don't do a ton about here, but we do about as much as the Bible talks about the devil and Satan, the purpose of our talk today is is not to give you wonderful descriptions of everything the Bible says about the devil. In fact, on the back of your outline, there's some information that's kind of like a survey of the Bible that gives you some information. But the point of it is here, the devil is a real created being that decided to rebel against God and absolutely hates everything God loves. And the devil hates everyone God loves. And Jesus defined the mission statement of the devil when he said, he has come to kill and steal and destroy. That's what you need to know about the devil. He hates you because God loves you. And we're not going to talk a lot today about demons. We don't know a ton about demons, but they're real. We think they're probably fallen angels. They're created beings. They're probably under the control and supervision of the devil. They're probably the spiritual forces that we tend to encounter. The devil is not like God. He's not every place at one time. He's not omnipresent. He's not all-knowing, omniscient like God is. He doesn't know everything. Uh, He is not all-powerful as God is. He is limited power as a created being. He probably is not going to give you much personal attention. Probably some of his malevolent minions will do that. But today what we're going to learn is not a bunch about the devil and about demons. Today we're going to learn how you can be absolutely successful in a spiritual environment. That's the good news today. And Jesus modeled that so powerfully. And we could say when we leave with Morgan today, (laughs) not today. No, not today, and not in the future, not now. We're going to read the story from Matthew. Some of you are familiar with that writer of the gospel, and he kind of begins by launching Jesus' adult and public ministry as Messiah by a big moment, the moment of Jesus' baptism in water. Uh, Unfortunately, um, all the people being baptized today decided they wanted to do that in the 1115 service. So the tank is just for me if I get too excited to fall into today. But if you want to stick around through worship in the next service, you're welcome to do that as as several are being baptized. But Jesus' big moment was his water baptism. The Holy Spirit descended in some kind of a visual form like a dove to empower him for his ministry. And then there was an audible voice from God from heaven saying, this is my son that I love in whom I am well pleased. Pretty amazing, big dramatic entry, don't you think? Jesus needed a better PR team because that's how you would launch going public. But instead, in the next sentence, we read what he did instead. Notice in Matthew chapter 4, the first two verses, it says, Then, then being immediately after his big moment, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
How many of you think that that's slightly redundant? Yeah. If you've experimented with fasting 40 days and 40 nights, you could assure us that you would be too. Now, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus to empower him. God's voice said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The very same Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. Here's the point. After every big moment, there's a test. The big moment, then the test. How many of you have experienced what I'm talking about? (laughs) You have this mountaintop experience. You have this wonderful family weekend. And and finally, that younger person, young, young adult in your life, it just seems to be relating to you and you're connecting and it's beautiful. And then Monday about 10 o'clock, you get a call from the school and there's a suspension, right? Every, every mountaintop is followed with a test. You have a great time in church. I mean, Marlene led us in worship and you know, I'm not gonna talk forever today. It's gonna be an awesome service and we're gonna go home and you're gonna say, oh, it's wonderful. And you get in the car and you go half a mile and it breaks down. If you came with a spouse, you and your spouse yell at each other. Then the kids go ballistic. After every big moment, there is a test. So given that pattern, what can we do about that? You know, it's interesting here that the, the Greek word that says that the Spirit led Jesus, it actually is the same word used of Jesus casting out demons. It has a lot of energy behind it. The New Living Translation uses the word compelled. The very same Spirit that filled Jesus with power for ministry and service is the same spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness. And I ask the question, what for anyway? What for? What we do know is that God wanted Jesus to go into battle. God wanted Jesus to go into the desert and to be faced by the devil. Why? Well, the word that we get tempted from, that's translated into tempted from the Greek, means literally to test someone to see what kind of person he or she is. So in a good sense, you test people to approve what you really think is in them. That's good. How many of you have a driver's license? Yeah. Some of you don't have a driver's license, but I know that you drove here today. Hmm. (laughs) How many of you know people that have a driver's license that probably shouldn't? Yeah, just about as many of us, yeah. So when you go down to the DMD and you do your driver's test, the driver tester person is not trying to tempt you to sin. She's trying to test your skills to approve that you have the skills to be a reasonably safe and licensed driver. So this word for testing is used by God when he wants to put us in an environment that allows us to shine and to be approved of this likeness of him that's in us. The same word is used of the devil because he wants to put you in an environment to test you in ways that cause you to fail so that he can cause your life to be ripped off as a result. So Jesus, filled with the Spirit, was driven by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So God tests us to approve us, and the devil tempts us to disapprove us or make us fail. Here's the point. After every big moment, you can count on it, there's probably going to be a test. And the test that comes by way is God's opportunity for you to demonstrate his life and power in you 
And the devil may seize that opportunity to want you to cause to fail. So we want to learn something about what Jesus modeled for us because our success is going to be exactly by following his pattern. So today, there's two things we're going to take a look at. If you have your notes there, there's number one, there's number two. The first thing we're discovering is this. Number one, follow the leader into the desert. Jesus begins his ministry by going to the desert. Think about that. There's a big public kickoff. Everybody's excited. Jesus literally makes a big splash. The Spirit's visible. The voice of God is audible. And Jesus disappears. Apparently, going to the desert is a good thing. I'm hoping that Anne is listening to this today because this is my biblical justification for my disappearance in January or February to the Phoenix area. <clears throat> Just trying to follow Christ into the wilderness. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Maybe this has uh, some other implications as well for us. He disappears for 40 days. Now, 40 days has a lot of significance in Jewish biblical history as it relates to battle. Moses went upon the mountain for 40 days to receive God's law for how people were to live. 40 days of solitude with God. He sent 12 spies into the promised land to check things out for 40 days. Moses was with God 40 days. They prepared for battle for 40 days. The Israeli army listened to the insults of the Philistine hero Goliath for 40 days while they were in battle before David came with a slingshot and took him out. And the prophet Elijah, on a meal that God gave him, was sustained for 40 days of recovery after having been engaged in the epic spiritual battle of his life with the prophets of Baal. Here's the point, 40 days. 40 days, spend time with God, 40 days. Be preparing for battle, be engaged in battle, be recovering for battle. No surprise that Jesus was led by the Spirit to do battle in the wilderness. Now, I know that Jesus went into the battle to deal with the devil, I know that, but I don't think that was the only thing that was happening during that desert 40 days. Because there's another reason Jesus frequently went to the desert. It was to be alone with God. Language is really interesting. Notice, first of all, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Solitary place is the same word as desert or wilderness. Jesus went there to pray. Mark 6, 31. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. A quiet place. It's the same word again. Desert, wilderness, solitude, quiet. Jesus went there to rest to reflect on his mission, to engage with God's word, to spend time connecting with his Father. So we as Christ followers need to follow him into the desert. Now, I am not asking you to spend the next 40 days in solitude with God. Some of you wish you could do that. But I am encouraging you to spend like 40 minutes a day in a 40-40 challenge with God. 
In fact, that's why we talk about soap around here so often. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Spend some time with God with the Bible. Ask him to point out one major thing for you. Write that down in your journal or type it in and and then pray that back to God. What would happen if you engaged with God for 40 days, 40 minutes a day? Well, I think it would have a profound effect on your relationship. I think it would accelerate it in dramatic ways. And why do I believe that? That's what happens in our relationships with others, isn't it? If you can imagine, maybe a parent, maybe you haven't spent much time with your kids. What would happen if for 40 days you spent 40 minutes one-on-one with a kid? Well, after freaking them out horribly, if you could get past that, a transformation in the relationship. Sometimes when Ann and I talk to couples who had the you know, fizz fizzle out of their marriage, we ask them about the kind of time that they spend together. If they do engage in time, usually it's transactional about you know, the business of life. What would happen if they would engage in really an intimate conversation 40 minutes for 40 days? transformational. The same thing can happen in your relationship with God, being alone with God. We know how this works. So I'm encouraging you to take a challenge. The first thing that we learn from Jesus is we need to go to the desert. I need to go to the desert, not just to ride a Harley in Arizona. I I need to go to the desert this week. I need to get away from the TV and from the computer and from the iPhone and from distraction. I need to go to the desert. You need to go to the desert to get alone, to be quiet and connect with God. Jesus was empowered for his mission. He received God's affirmation of his identity and his being loved and accepted to prepare for his mission. But Jesus had further preparation to spend 40 days in solitude connected with his father to engage in his mission. The first thing that we learn is follow Jesus into the desert. The second thing, number two on your outline, follow the leader into the battle. While Jesus was in the desert, he was tempted. Notice the whole passage. It'll come up on the screen, or you can check it out in your bound Bibles or your devices. It's Matthew chapter 4, the first 11 verses. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they'll lift you up with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Hmm. Now, these three temptations are probably not the sum total of the battle in the wilderness. Luke's gospel tells us that the temptation was ongoing across the 40 days. 
But I do believe that these three temptations show us some representative things and also show us how the devil crafted them specifically to address Jesus' weakness at the time. First, he was the son of God and he was hungry. And so the temptation was turn these stones into bread. I have never had that temptation. Have you? Yeah. No. But I am tempted with the lust of the flesh, satisfying my needs in my own way. He was the son of God, and Scripture says that God would protect him, so the devil suggests, just throw yourself down. The angels will come and capture you. You can make quite a spectacle out of yourself. Now, throwing myself off buildings, this rarely comes to mind. But being tempted with the lust of the eyes in how I look in the view of others is a temptation. Jesus was here on earth to make all the kingdoms of the earth come together into the kingdom of heaven. And the devil offered him a shortcut. You don't have to take the cross. Just bow down to me in worship. I'm tempted too with the pride of life, how to make myself bigger in a way to get there faster. So here's the thought. It appears that the devil crafted his temptations to specifically address areas of Jesus' weakness. Do you think maybe he might do that for you as well? I think so. But the difficulty with that realization, which I believe is helpful and accurate, is that it can also cause us to feel unique and isolated and very alone in that. And aloneness in weakness is the most vulnerable and painful place to be, which leads us to a very important point. Letter A there is, you are not alone. Even though the devil knows your weakness, even though he wants to tempt you accordingly, you should never think that you are the only person in the world that has ever been tested in this way. I can promise you lots of other people share your same weaknesses. That's why the Bible says, and I love this verse, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or 10 verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Wow, what energy in that promise. You're not alone. Whatever you're tempted in, others have been and likely are. And when you feel, I could not tell someone what I am going through, they wouldn't understand. Here's the truth. They very likely have been or are where you are. And the even more comforting larger truth is this. Jesus can empathize thoroughly with exactly what you're experiencing. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, starting with verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in when? Our time of need. You're not alone. Jesus has absolutely been where you are. He knows what it feels like. He has heard it. He's felt it. He happened to go through it without sin, but he empathizes. So don't think Jesus could never understand me. He's perfect and holy. He doesn't know where I've been. No, he's been tempted in every way, exactly as you have. He's been there. He gets it. That's why you can come to him with confidence to his throne of grace to find mercy and grace in your time of need. Does that come naturally for you? Mm. Not for me. I don't know where it comes from. We live in a broken planet. We're not going to blame parents for everything here today. For those of you that are parents, isn't that good news? Yeah. But we've been around broken people that socialized us. And one of the things that we learned is that not everybody who has power and authority in our life is safe. We learned that, didn't we? Especially if we have behaved in ways that are going to be disappointing or contrary to them. That's why God has to make such a big point out of his view toward us in saying to you today, I know what you're experiencing. I've been there. I can lead you through it successfully. And when you come to me, you're not going to get beat over the head with a club. You're going to find mercy and grace to help you forward. You are not alone. Perhaps that is why the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted in every way as we are and could lead the way and could give us grace and mercy and power through our way. You are not alone. One last idea. It's letter B there in your outline, and it's this. Use God's word to resist. When tempted, what did Jesus do? Well, he said three words. It is written. Let's say it together, would you? Out loud. It is written. Now, I don't know how you envision Jesus doing it. Uh, Maybe you're a tough and macho guy. And you just cannot imagine this without Jesus spitting and shouting. I kind of like that image, just loud, right in the devil's face, just giving him an earful of noise and a face full of spit. You know what I mean? I mean intense and aggressive here. Any of you like to see Jesus in the wilderness doing that? I kind of like that one. It is written and it's just flying. Yeah. Some of you are a little more mellow by temperament and personality And you imagine Jesus in the face of the devil himself just whispering in a very audible tone. It's written. And you know what? It doesn't make any difference if he shouted and spat or if he whispered and the devil had to lean forward to hear him. Because this was not about technique. The power was not in the presentation. The power was in the eternal, recorded, written, given, fresh for the moment, word of God. It is written. I hope this week, in the face of temptation, some of you just shout, it is written, and the spit flies. 
I hope to be there to watch it. Just slightly behind you. Yeah. Some of you are going to be almost in silence, mouthing the words, it is written. And with the very same power of God's word and spirit, the devil will fear and he will flee because it's not the presentation. It's the authority of God's truth. Use God's word to resist. When the devil tempted Jesus to misuse his power, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When the devil misused scripture to tempt Jesus to test God, he said, it is written, you will not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil tempted, uh, offered Jesus everything, if he would just worship, Jesus said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When the Apostle Paul writes about spiritual warfare, especially in Ephesians chapter 6, he does a remarkable thing. He Check it out later there. He describes the armor of God, and he gives us these pieces, these gifts that God has given us, and he gives us a, a metaphor, an image of a Roman soldier beginning to put on the various pieces of armament, and the first ones are all defensive armor. So the implication is if you armor up with most of the armor of God, you don't even know when the devil or demons are after you. You don't even know it. You're defended. Following Christ in the fullness of the Spirit is living life with stuff launched your way. Generally, you're not even aware of it. That's what armor does. You're armored up. You are defended. But in Ephesians 6, verse 17, it gives the final piece of the armor, and it is the one and only offensive weapon. This is not for protection. This is the one to make the devil fear and flee. And it says, would you mind reading it out loud with me? Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here it is. The one weapon that puts the devil to flight is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So it's what we use offensively to cause him to fear and flee. If you've been around Evergreen uh, this summer or early fall, you've, uh, <laughs> you've been updated regularly on a really confusing and difficult experience Ann and I are having within our uh, neighborhood. And it was a few months ago, uh, Bob Weller, that you uh, hunted Ann and me both down after the service. Uh, Bob, if you haven't met Bob and Joan, just wonderful, hugely respected uh, part of our congregation. And Bob found me, and then he found Ann. We were at different places in the lobby. And Bob, what you shared with us was, remember this, and you quoted this passage in Ephesians, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. This is not a war with humans, but our battle is against principalities and powers and darkness and spiritual places. And it was, a, it was the word of the Lord for us for this season of time to remember the relationships are strained and things are being said and interpreted in ways that are difficult 
But the real energy behind this is a spiritual energy and to take the sword of the Spirit and to be successful through this time. So, Bob, I, I remembered that. I went to an HOA meeting on, on Monday night. And so, any of you part of HOAs? Yeah. So all of you live out in the country on your own land. <laughs> libertarians, not going to have anybody tell you what to do with your bushes. <laughs> and if you have an old travel trailer, Ann and I may come live on your place with you pretty soon. Yeah, come on out. Yeah, You get the water, you get the spring going back, and we'll be out. Yeah, It's odd, yeah. So Monday night, I went to my meeting, and so I prepared for battle. I'm going to be with some people that have a different point of view from me, and some people that are very likely in an hour and a half going to say some things that evoke all kinds of nasty and negative emotions in me. And when my emotions get evoked, do you know that my body is very, very complimentary with my emotions? Yeah. <laughs> my hands all of a sudden want to cooperate and take someone out, and my mouth wants to open up and just slice and dice people. I'm very consistent. I have a lot of integrity. You know, My bad emotions are very much wired along with bad behavior spiritual battle that I'm in here. It's not just behavior modification, though some of that was going on too, trust me. And so uh, I had my computer, and I had it open, and that's, that's common. It wasn't a distraction. Other people have their devices at the meetings. But, but what mine was open to was a page of Scripture, one of which we're about to, as we conclude our time together, I'm, I'm going to be reading with you. I'll identify which it was. Because for me to move through 90 minutes of relational and emotional conflicted, difficult time required that I be armored up. And I used the sword of the Spirit in that battle, and I didn't say a word in the whole 90 minutes. I battled silently with the Word. So here's the point of our talk today. Jesus went into the desert. He went into the desert because he had to have one-on-one time with God. So do you. Take the 40-40 challenge. Be alone with God every day. And in that desert, he was being tested by his father in ways that would demonstrate the sonship that was already identified and approved. And that moment and opportunity was also seized by the devil to try to cause him to sin. And his success was to say, it is written. I think it might make sense if you struggle with sexual temptation or pornography, to memorize this verse. It is written. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It is written. Use the sword. See the devil flee. If you're tempted by consumerism, You have a drive in you that just wants and wants more and more and more. You might want to memorize. It is written. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you're going to go to an HOA meeting this week and you're tempted to lose your cool, you might want to memorize. It is written. This was on my screen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. If this week you're tempted and you will be to just simply be selfish, you might want to memorize. It is written. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, 
But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's what we've learned. Identify your weakness, learn what God's word says about it, and then resist temptation at the top of your lungs or with the quietest whisper. It is written, and the sword of the Spirit is Jesus' path for you to move through successfully. It is written. This afternoon, and then Tuesday morning and Tuesday evening, scorers of Evergreeners are going to be a part of their rooted uh, groups. And today, this week, we're going to be dealing with success over spiritual strongholds. Not all of you are a part of Rooted in this season. I want for all of us as a church to be on the same page this, 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 group, uh, this week. A spiritual stronghold is a place where you have discovered a pattern of failure, even with your best efforts, to grow in that area. That failure may have been for weeks. It may have been for months. It may have been for years. It may have been for decades. It's a place of brokenness where it seems like The devil has gotten a hook into part of your soul and psyche in ways where there is a weakness that is habitual and you have not been able to get past it. It is not just behavior modification. It is not just a bad habit to overcome. It is a spiritual force to break and to be released from. Breaking spiritual forces. Those of you that are part of Rudder are going to have an opportunity to do these three things. It will not be an embarrassing situation. It will be tactfully and uh, well-facilitated. It will be an opportunity for you to share at the level of your courage and your uh, comfort and your ability. It's also something that any of you can practice this week on your own. It's the toolkit that I'd like to send you with. Here's the sex, steps to success over spiritual strongholds. Number one, be honest in your confession. Be honest to God. (laughs) Listen, you are not going to surprise him with what you have to tell him. (laughs) He already knows. He's already decided what he's going to do with you about that. And he already has a path of victory for you. Be honest to God. Number two, surrender in repentance. The surrender that says, I am not going to continue to fight this on my own. I will not be successful in my own. I am going to surrender it to God. I am going to turn and follow him in a better way. Be honest to God. Go a better way. And third, stand with people. The gift of accountability, the support of others. Do not go alone. Go with friends. Before we pray, be honest to God. Go the better way. And go there with friends. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the desert for us to model our way in spending time with our Father without distraction. Help us with that this week. Speak to us. Teach us from your word. Speak those fresh, personal words of God by your spirit, those giftings of your spirit. Give us the courage to take the sword into battle with us. It is written. And the humility to use your power instead of our effort. God, thank you that you've 
done it perfectly for us and, and then died in our place to forgive our sins. We confess to you today, I have sinned. I am a sinner. I have gone my own way. Honest to God, I come to you. We receive your forgiveness today. We receive the empowering of your spirit. We receive your word, God, that says we're your loved children. And this week, Lord, we launch into a week of school and of work and of neighbor and community and family and in some cases travel. Lord, we engage with you at every point when we are tempted or confront evil, Lord. Help us say it is written for your honor and glory and for the blessing of others. In Jesus' name, amen.